0: The following episode of Workplace Champions is a CFO Thought Leader production. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. Welcome to Workplace Champions. This episode will be featuring the workforce insights and commentary of four finance leaders including CFO Ross Tannenbaum of Avalara, CFO Kieran McGrath of Avaya, CFO Drew Valero of Allied Universal, and CFO Sandra Harris of Tupperware. And once more, we're pleased to feature performance management guru, Brett Knowles as our resident thought leader. As we seek to highlight the takeaways from our distinguished group of thought leaders. Brett Knowles joins us after this. Hello, Jack here. I have a message for you from the folks at Sage People. Decisions about your people should be driven by data, but is your HR department still using spreadsheets to keep track of your people? It's time to move to cloud. Understand what makes your employees tick. Know your best performers or determine absence trends, all with a cloud HR and people system. Sage People empowers organizations to respond quickly and easily to changing priorities in today's shifting world of work. It means you can make sure your workforce is able to adapt while staying connected and engaged whoever they are. Discover how to get instant insights at your fingertips. Visit us today at sageintactcom forward slash sage dash people. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney and I'm here with Brett Knowles and Brett, I, uh, I have to imagine you've been experiencing some level of cabin fever, uh, given all the travel that you ordinarily do. Um, can you can you share with us what what are your circumstances these days?
1: Well, it's interesting to say that I wouldn't say cabin fever is on my mind, but it certainly is on my wife's mind. She's been, you know, quite concerned about my being around all this time. Uh, but ironically, I just got back this morning from Seoul, Korea, and I tell you, it was fascinating because. They've got lower incidents in Seoul than they do in South Dakota. Um, And it's all because people follow the rules. They're wearing masks. They're hand-washing everywhere Everywhere you go. There's uh, these things to take your temperature when you walk in every single building. It's just fascinating. And it's business as usual. It's uh, just a different world over there.
0: Now, let me ask, what was the flight back like? Was the cabin filled?
1: Uh, It was uh, empty literally empty. I was coming back from Seoul this morning, and there's only three of us in business class, and there's probably about 26 seats. So it's uh, travel is depressing in terms of the the low number of people you see flying. What was interesting is the hotel in Seoul was booked solid. So again, now everyone wears masks there all the time, walking up and down the street, all by themselves, going for runs. Um, And so in the elevators, everyone's wearing masks, but the the hotels were jammed, just jammed with people. So it's um, it's interesting that it's very local based what's happening and not happening currently.
0: Wow, very interesting. I'm glad to hear you're on the road. I know uh, I know you enjoy it. It's where you, you were meant to be. Uh, but I want to move things along here and introduce you to our first finance leader, uh, who is Ross Tenenbaum, CFO of Avalera. Uh, Just to share with you what we've been up to, Uh, as you well know, we've been speaking to finance leaders about this environment, about the COVID environment, and of course, so many of them will quickly tell us that uh, their number one priority is always protecting their people, and then they'll follow that up by telling us, uh, obviously, that their workforce, their talent is their most valuable asset, and in some ways, that has just begged the question, how are you measuring that asset? Followed by, how are you extending your lines of sight into your workforce today? And Ross Tannenbaum was generous enough to uh, supply us with a few answers. Here's what Ross shared.
2: Talent is the most important thing in an organization across any function. As I think everybody knows, You know, it's the majority of the cost. and what I would say is we have a great team. I, I was blessed to have taken over with a great team and anytime you come in, you start to assess your talent. And as I look at Avalara as an organization, we're doing many things to mature as an HR group to really better understand our talents, you know, and that goes into classic HR practices of, you know, just having, you know, twice a year, proper, proper leveling and proper, uh, uh, uh processes that allow you to assess talent and record it and track people and then it's all about how you motivate people and how you move people and give them a path for career development and you identify the great athletes and you help them rise up and so we've gone through that we're we're maturing to be honest as, as an organization you know over the last year we've really taken some major step forward we've got more to go on that um from a finance perspective uh, we've got a great team. I, my senior leaders are very strong across the board, and so for me, it's been trying to work with them to assess, you know, various layers of the bench. You know, go down three layers deep, really identify our talent, the, you know, the obvious ones, but it's really the not so obvious ones, the ones you know that are in the middle of the nine box that you want to move up to a star, and 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 that have the capability, and they just require the investment. Um, and then personally, I'm, and so we're we're making a lot of investments in identifying it, Jack, and then trying to invest in the people that we think are great, that we want to keep, and we want we want to build careers around. And that's hard to do. and and I can't say that we've been great at it, but but we're getting much better at it. Um, um, and then the other thing is, I'm always recruiting. You know, I must spend twenty percent plus or minus of my time. Recruiting, and that is one helping other leaders across the organization where they have key jobs, and, I, and I'm part of the recruiting process. But I'm always looking at, 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 at talent out there, whether there's a job record approval or not. I believe you got to always be out there working your network, working other people's networks, expanding the scope, positioning Avalara as a great company to work for, getting inbounds, talking to people, because you never know when you're going to need someone, or even better we found people when we didn't need someone who were like, this person is awesome and we're going to create the budget and bring them into the organization because, because they're really going to make a difference. So I, I really encourage finance leaders to try to, to allocate some extra time to be continuing to uh, uh, recruit and be out there, even if you don't actually need somebody.
0: But let me just begin with maybe the the, the question. Do you agree really that uh, Wall Street doesn't really have a, a fix on, uh, workforce culture and how to measure it, and how to look into businesses and and quickly detect uh, something's not right here. Or would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, Jack, I think you're on to something there. Um, and and having experienced many companies and management teams from investment banking, um, you know, I saw teams that were really high functioning, really strong, great cultures, and I saw you know management teams, executive teams that were you know not a cohesive team, and and there was a lot of distrust and there was backstabbing and, and, and both could have great numbers and be performing well, you know, but I would think I would want to invest my money in the one that has that trusted, cohesive team, um, that, that, that's really driving forward in a, in a healthier cultural way. And, and, and I don't think that wall street has a view. There is really no metric internally and certainly not externally that gives that view. And I think investors you know, are trying to get more talent into talent and culture. They're trying to do interviews with various outside parties. Um, They're, they're focused more on ESG, the environmental social and governance stuff, which, which hits a little bit. Um, We're focused more on diversity, which is really, really important. So there is more focus from wall street that gets to these things, but I don't see yet a magic bullet yet that they can really understand into the underlying culture and, and, Team dynamics, and I think that's so important, Jack. Because, like I said, having an executive team that really functions well, really trusts each other, and breeds this culture—a certain type of culture—I think will separate a long-term star and performer from from not from, from from one that does not. And internally, we're very focused on diversity. We're very focused on doing things that that bring together people in team dynamics. We're very focused on bringing an outside. Uh, consultants and help us create high octane te- high octane teams, increase velocity, and really building out that culture. And it, it's hard to do, Jack, but but it's really really important. I think when you think about a ten year business, and you think about the long term vision and plan.
0: Well, Brett, I was uh, looking forward to uh, discussing with you whether. Organizational culture, corporate culture, can be measured correctly, and I thought Ross's thoughts were quite interesting in that regard, um, and could be used as a springboard <laughs> for me to put you on the spot here and ask you, uh, what do you think what, uh, about what was shared, and uh, and the subject of measuring culture? What would you what would you tell us?
1: Certainly, when we look at how companies measure human capital and financial officers in particular, they look for the smart numbers. And so it's things like employee turnover and retention rates and days to hire and stuff. And he's right. There is no hard metric that's generally accepted around culture, but here's what we know when you have great people and lousy culture, the lousy culture wins. In fact, when you have the opposite awesome culture and weaker competencies in fact, they do amazing things. When you've got both, and we spell that these days, Google, where you've got amazing intellectual capital and amazing culture, you know the evidence is clear. You get phenomenal performance. And so it's something that we need to begin moving towards. It's easy enough to measure The dilemma is it doesn't meet that smart criteria. It's not 100% reliable and repeatable across organizations.
0: So as much as... What you shared and what Ross explained to us, this area of, of measuring culture seems somewhat uncharted. And I'm wondering what advice or where would you recommend finance leaders uh, begin to explore? If they want to garner their own insights into their culture, wh- where would they begin? What would you recommend?
1: Well, so, you know, culture is Uh, the manifestation of our values. And it's what you see in the behaviors of people. So what you want to do is take a look at hard evidence that those cultural attributes or values are being expressed. So for example, if one of our attributes is, you know, we operate with integrity, let's see how many times we actually deliver our product on time or how soon we tell our product that we're not going to, our customer that we're not going to deliver the product on time if we fear we're going to be late. Or how many times we have to do price adjustments and things like that, which indicate that we're not operating with integrity, that there's problems with our delivery system. Or how many times we break a promise to a customer. So uh, there are ways to measure it. The dilemma is it's not going to be the same from organization to organization.
0: Really, it seems to me that would undermine it quite a bit or the usefulness of it.
1: Well, to a certain extent. Now, it's still useful inside the business. So again, if I go back to our, we operate with integrity, and I look at the number of, I don't know, customer complaints or times we've got uh, complaints about employee behavior, that's indicative of um, that disconnect. And that would be the same across time. Customers don't complain more in one month than another month. So within the business, it ends up being a good benchmark. The dilemma is across businesses, it's not as useful.
0: Well, I have another finance leader uh, that I think can help uh, amplify this theme of uh, culture, the hidden, hidden value of culture in people, let's say. Uh, and, Brett, I think you'll enjoy this. Now, I did not ask Kieran specifically uh, about a measurement for the workforce, for workforce culture. Um, instead, he shared with us uh, an interesting... Short, interesting chapter from earlier in his career that I thought nicely underscores our theme. Here's Karen McGrath, CFO of Avaya.
3: Because I did have what I'll call one of those finance strategic moments. But it was really um, really something that stood out to me, which was we were acquiring a lot of companies, a lot of cloud-related companies, uh, early in my career, both with IBM and cA. And the initial reaction from folks was to take these companies and bring them in under the big umbrella, you know, rationalize for rationalize for cost, you know, blue wash the processes, make it look very consistent. And some of the things that I realized very quickly was that the very active integration can sometimes destroy value. And sometimes, even though it may cost a bit more, it takes um, it's more important to actually leave it somewhat rem- remote and allow that which really differentiated it to function until you truly understand how to properly integrate it. So, you know, many times historically there's always been a rush to try and integrate a company when you do it. I think sometimes that destroys value because what you need to do is ensure that that very set of processes or those very set of people who help differentiate the assets that you bought, because not everything in the world of intellectual property is a piece of code. You know, many times it's the business process and the people behind it that, uh, that really are the key differentiators and to do that a little differently. And I think when I had that realization and coupled with that with the courage to stand up and say, nope, I know this is the way you'd like to do it, but my recommendation is this is the way we should do it. And let some of these companies run more standalone, run more remote until we're in a better position and we have a better understanding of each other and we can drive value. And I tell you, that was a a big learning point for me. It led, you know, it was a bit of a contrarian point of view for a while, but I think it led to some of my, my bigger successes.
0: Thank you, CFO Karen McGrath. Just a, a moment of insight that he shared on prodded. I didn't ask him a specific question. It's just one of those moments of insights he said he experienced over his years as a finance leader. Brett, what any thoughts on what Karen shared?
1: I thought it was interesting. I've never heard of that expression, blue wash, before, but yeah, it makes sense. And maybe that's an IBM expression. Uh, but the part that rung true, and we've seen this so many times in many organizations, is the value that's lost after an acquisition. And the value is all in human capital. And that seems to be ignored. And it's, we've seen it so many times, it's, it's actually distressing. And there's ways to manage through it. But I'm glad at least that it wasn't just something that I've seen, but it's it's seen in the in the wider world. Part of the problem is this, that when we do an acquisition, often there's a cultural misfit between the two organizations and we do all the numbers. We look for, you know, where there's synergies between service departments and production departments and so on, and where there's uh, relationships between common customer bases or you're buying a book of business, but we seldom do that cultural attribute comparison. And that is super important because uh, obviously if there's a mismatch, bad things happen. But bad things happen even if there's a match. And often we see that's the stress of the acquisition. So a merger happens. Eventually, people figure out who the dominant partner is. And everyone in the the not dominant partner assumes that their job is on the line. Now they have this anxiety and stress. And it seems to take a long time before we let people know what we plan on doing on the human capital side. And in that time, of course, they're getting job offers and they're feeling stress. And the longer it takes, the more they're certain it's going to be bad news at the end of the tunnel. And so they jump ship and maybe there is no need for them, but it's just that anxiety. What we've learned is the sooner that you can let the employees know what's going to happen, the better. And so your clear instructions about how we're gonna be integrating people or how we're not integrating people, it's the uncertainty that kills them. And even if you know you're gonna be getting, letting half the the force go, often if you let them know in advance, you have less of a brain drain than if you keep dragging it on and keeping it as a secret.
0: Well, our next CFO faces an interesting challenge in this time of uh, the pandemic. Uh, he is Drew Valero, CFO of Allied Universal. Now, Allied Universal is not a consumer brand. it It is in the space of security and facility services. And Drew faces uh, quite a hiring challenge uh, and has been addressing that and working towards that. And culture plays no small part in it, as he highlights. Here is CFO, Drew Valero.
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, I I can speak to the workforce at large, and then we can speak a little bit to what we do in finance. Um, And so uh, at the workforce at large, completely agree with you, Uh, have always believed that uh, people are central to the value creation of a company. Right. So you may have a brand um, and our brand means something, certainly in our space but i think a lot of the purchases in this company or for this you know in this category in private security really are are personality driven or relationship driven and so people matter a lot in this business they matter a lot your pricing matters too your track record and safety matters but but the people matter a lot and so i think steve spends a lot of time uh with with people i spend a lot of time with people I think certainly the turnover metric here is something that we watch very very closely uh i would say that you know we hire three thousand people a week right so we have you know so so just even to back up a step i mean we see a million resumes a year here at allied universal right so i think there's a 150 million or so people employed in this country so you're talking about you know a meaningful number of resumes that this company sees. So our ability to hire the right people is really important, like really, really important. And how do you do it at, at scale is is really our challenge. We see a million resumes. We're hiring 150,000 people a year. So, so our ability to do that correctly or to do that right really makes sense. And so I think our strategy team uh, has really adopted a couple of new tools that really helped us do that through the field. We now have really an artificial intelligence vehicle that we're testing that really will help us identify sort of what are the key metrics or what are the key personalities or key answers that applicants can give us that really will fit well with our culture as well as Indicate that those might be successful employees. I think we're using sort of that artificial intelligence. Um, we're also using an automated workflow to really help us get through some of our staffing bottlenecks. Our challenge here today is we may get a resume, but we may not be able to call you for six to eight weeks. And so Managing that workflow a lot better is very important to us and something that we spend a lot of time doing. So, I could go on and on and on about some of the things that we're doing, but turnover is super important to us. Uh, we manage that closely, but really, we spend a lot of time about the employment funnel. You know, how do we find, you know, 150,000 of the best employees? So those those are- go ahead.
0: Sorry, I was going to say that that is an impressive number. And of course, uh, if you visit uh, Allied Universal's homepage, they have a hiring events calendar. You're hiring all over the country. And usually these are, I think, uh, security uh, professionals that you're hiring. It might not be clear to some of us why, uh, through a pandemic, you you are uh, still making these types of hires. It hasn't impacted that, or has it?
4: Well, um, you know, it's probably a broader question. you know we're hiring based on customer needs right so so customers um have positions that they would like us to fill we have contracts with customers uh we typically you know over the last couple of years have had thousands of positions that we haven't been able to fill um so because the labor market's been tight right there's a lot of competition in the labor market um customers continue to need services and some, to your point, have used less during the pandemic. So maybe like the retail channel might be using less services. Maybe some of the local office buildings that we guard use less services, but a lot of customers have asked for more hours. So state governments have wanted more hours. Um, Hospitals have wanted more hours. There's a, you know, it sort of ebbs and flows by channel a little bit. So, but, but, but overall, you know, the company's been a very active hirer during the, uh, the pandemic. I mean, obviously, you know, as we sort of have managed our company here for, through the pandemic, I mean, we've really kind of focused on on three important pieces of our company. I mean, first and foremost, we focus on our employees, right? And so we really, during the, the pandemic, we've instructed all of our employees, you know, to follow the CDC and, and WHO guidelines, social distancing, very, very important I think overall, you know, the company's done a good job. We've got 800 numbers. We have daily communication with our employees. We really work hard to assist and educate them. Um, The safety guidelines have kind of been a moving target at times. And so we've done a good job of really trying to transmit that to the employees. And then obviously we've tried to protect our employees during the pandemic as much as we can with the personal protective equipment. We give latex gloves, masks, hand sanitizers, et cetera. We've given over 650,000 cloth masks during that time but uh, we've also you know been very active with virtual events hiring people so um, a lot of kind of drive-through hiring events to, to keep the social distancing but but overall the, the, the demand for security services remains pretty strong and uh, we still have a significant number of open posts and we've been trying to uh, trying to fill those trying to be with the customers. Um, From a financial perspective, obviously, during the pandemic, we've been focused on really the liquidity of the company. I can give you more on that. But um, those are really the things that uh, we've been focused on. On the the pandemic is first and foremost, the employees and how we keep them safe. The customers, we've got 13,000 customers. 13,000 customers have 13,000 different ways that they've attacked this situation. Different people have done it different ways and we try to be with them every step. And then, from a liquidity perspective on the financial side, there's a couple of things that we've been trying to do to uh, to make sure that uh, the company can uh, continue to to do well. You know, frame of magnitude, our payroll here is a hundred million dollars a week, and so we got to make sure that uh, that you know we have the ability to continue to 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 pay the people who are working hard. Through-
0: And well, thank you to CFO Drew Valero of Allied Universal. Uh, Drew's episode, by the way, for our CFO Thought Leader listeners, will be dropping shortly. It's just in the rotation, and I just uh, couldn't resist uh, extracting this part of our discussion to share with Brett. Uh, so, Brett, what do you what do you make of what Drew shared?
1: Well, certainly the numbers are mind-boggling. I'm, I'm sure other companies are hitting those same numbers, but uh, you can see where it makes sense to begin applying AI or even machine learning type tools to the hiring process, automating the workflow and, and stuff like that. What I'm left wondering, though, is I can see where that's going to be able to check the boxes, you know, easy in terms of, you know, experience, credentials, that kind of thing. What I'm wondering is, you know, our conversation so far has talked about, you know, the cultural aspects about, you know people's feelings in, in acquisitions from Kieran's point of view, I'm wondering how AI or ML would deal with those sorts of questions, like the, the cultural mindset, the values of people that they're hiring.
0: So you get the sense that they're busy correlating the answers to these uh, to their questions for new hires. And from what he shared, it sounded like they were prepared to make an investment there, knowing that you know, hiring was so strategic to the success of the company and the growth of the company that, you know, we're ready to buy or or invest in these tools. Uh, But what exactly, you know, how does ML play a role there? How could it play a role?
3: Well,
1: certainly what ML uh, machine learning tries to describe is you take a look at a database of events and try to discover the patterns. So uh, in his case, think of, well, think of Starbucks, right? Starbucks, it's super important that their staff has a mentality of service, that they're extroverts, they're comfortable talking to customers and so on. There's got to be attributes that we're looking for in that security business. And when you look at their site, they have many, many different types of security people from those that you know sit at the kiosk at a parking lot, to those who sit at the kiosk in front of a building, to those that are doing personal protection activities, And so there's got to be different uh, values or mindsets required for those different jobs. And can this machine learning, if you take a look at employment history and longevity and success in the job, uh, performance scores and so on, begin to determine which of those questions, Jack, that you alluded to are more meaningful for different job types?
0: So part of what I, I thought was interesting from what uh, Drew shared was that he made it very clear that he's bringing all of his past experience to bear on this this hiring challenge, and the, and and that it's not HR experience he's bringing.
1: He's taking a, a finance mindset exactly. of workflow management and and trying to find a standard, repeatable, reliable process to underpin. What has historically been human capital centric, you know, the art of the interviewee and the art of the interviewer, you know, finding that match. And when you're dealing with his numbers, it makes sense. And it's not like he's hiring people in a, a menial jobs, right? These are high cognitive skill jobs where people have to think on the fly, where uh, the scenarios that. Uh, actually pan out are not those that you plan for. So people need to have training that's sort of above and beyond just tactical behaviors. And so the idea of being able to apply artificial intelligence and machine learning to those higher skill problems implies that we can do that even for uh, accounting advisory services or frankly, any job in the corporation.
0: Okay, well, we are up to our final finance leader, who is CFO Sandra Harris of Tupperware, certainly a brand many of us know well. Sandra is helping to spearhead a turnaround at Tupperware. It's a rather involved story, uh, but the segment I just wanted to uh, share with you, Brett, she does touch on the workforce quite a bit as she, again, spearheads uh, organizational redesign, and uh, we touch on uh, the subject of how they sell and you know we all remember the Tupperware parties perhaps but she'll she'll explain it here again this is CFO Sandra Harris
5: Turnaround plan includes organizational redesign. So we've been in a process of really redesigning the organization to uh, more align with the new structure and the new way we go to market. So, you know, in the middle of COVID-19, we were already working on organizational redesign. It, it was part of our, our turnaround plan that's driving 180 million of savings, right? So so we did quickly organize around understanding our, our workforce. Now, in relation to COVID-19, you know, our priority was our employees. So you know we ensured that we had the safety measures. We ensured that we you know took the right precautions. We followed what was required by the different locations. You know we're a global company. so every market had different rules around Covid. And you know our first focus and priority was was making sure they were safe. We also have a different dynamic because to your question earlier, the sales force, even though they don't work for us, it's very important that we also think of them. And so we also wanted to make sure that we had ways for them to continue to conduct their business. And stay safe, and and that's where these digital tools really were important because we we didn't want them conducting you know physical parties when they can't, and we needed to give them ways to do that. So, you know, we're we're continuing to get better analytics around our our uh, our employees as well as we start to reorganize this company, um, and we have taken you know the right steps to ensure that during this time of COVID nineteen that we're especially where people are working so for instance some of you know, our distribution centers have, have been able to be open our manufacturing facilities we have been making sure that we adjust the pay accordingly um, that you know they're working in an environment to help us to be successful and, and we're trying to make sure that we are incenting them the right way but the selling model uh, remains intact where you
0: have um, reps that that uh, are not are not employees
5: so, so they are independent sellers they do not they're not employees of, of Tupperware. So we support them through, you know, providing them with content and uh, sales of tools and devices, but they they actually work for themselves. So they're individual entrepreneurs. And And that's the case of whether they're in a traditional party model, like here in the US, people remember the party, um, you know, the party's gone from being in the house to being on Zoom or Facebook or other um, you know, digital solutions. But yes, I mean, they still host parties. Uh, we do have though the same, We have independent sellers in other locations like Brazil that do more one-on-one selling. And then we also have an independent seller who owns what we call a studio in in China. We own more than 6,000 studios in China. But again, Tupperware doesn't own those studios. The independent seller does, and we provide them with the branding and the marketing and, and the product.
0: Okay, that was CFO Sandra Harris, who is really earning her stripes as a, a turnaround CFO on this latest tour of duty for her at Tupperware. I thought the independent uh, sales rep model that Tupperware has really always had, as far as I recall, uh, is remaining intact. It's interesting how uh, her concerns around COVID in regards to that model might be something you'd find interesting, Brett. What, what did you make of what she shared?
1: I thought her conversation was interesting because I guess almost similar to Drew where this uh, COVID tsunami has perhaps helped her cause, right? She's trying to do a transformation where uh, home parties probably are, are going out of fashion, but people aren't or at least weren't willing to have Zoom meetings. Whereas now, it's been a forced norm for most organizations so all of a sudden zoom meetings are the norm now all of a sudden the transformation that she was trying to orchestrate and would have been uh time consuming and expensive suddenly has landed in her lap as the only way you can run these parties anyways so uh i think it was i mean maybe that's uh uh making lemonade out of lemons but a pretty fortuitous change in society to underpin the transformation that she was trying to put in place. I thought the part that was interesting though keeping this you know theme going about culture and intangible assets that um, you know clearly the event horizon for the business is no longer people that carry their logo your logo on their card right. She's got a whole bunch of distributors that aren't part of the tupperware family uh, in terms of being paid by them but are part of the tupperware family in terms of the value equation for customers and to many customers is invisible and they don't care that their local friend isn't a tupperware employee they're representing the brand of tupperware or even you know these the the new models appearing in china so what's interesting is all of a sudden these people representing the company culture and these are the people that you need to be mindful of in this, this COVID event and how we continue to allow them to work productively. And so I just thought it was interesting, just her mindset about, again, this, this, how do we manage the culture in these non-owned employees?
0: Okay. Well done, Brett. I've gone through my, uh, my, my, Four finance leaders this time for you, but uh, alas, the clock has wound down, and uh, the game is up.
1: My, my favorite, my, my you know, you're quoting Shakespeare. My favorite line from any movie is in *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles*. So already you know where I'm aiming. So it's in the hotel room, um, and not the part where uh, Steve Martin says to John or John Candy says to Steve Martin. You know, those weren't two pillows, um, but. Steve, you know, John Candy's like me. He's going natter, 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 natter. And eventually Steve Martin goes, the problem with you is when you speak, there's supposed to be a message.
0: (laughs) I'm still uh, trying to get past the the two pillows. By the way, that's just the perfect way to end our episode here, this uh, Thanksgiving week, actually, with that movie reference. On behalf of Brett Knowles and myself, stay safe this holiday, and thank you for listening.